0: Up, Labour sets its sights high in May's local elections. But would it really be a record-breaking night for them? And anyway, who on earth would want to run for their local council?
1: It's far better canvassing in bad weather because everybody's home.
0: Hello, Paul Osborne here. This week, the podcast is slightly different. With a few days to go to this year's local elections, it's my job to convince you they are both important and interesting. I'm going to start this difficult task with a trip to the South London borough of Wandsworth. On Thursday the 3rd of
2: May, the eyes of the country turned to Wandsworth as a key battleground in the local council election.
0: We're in Balham at a debate hosted by local station Wandsworth Radio. Now the Conservatives have been in charge here for 40 years. This was Margaret Thatcher's favourite council. It pioneered outsourcing council services. It has one of the lowest council tax rates in the country and yet Labour is very very confident here, confident enough to talk about taking Wandsworth from the Tories. This is
3: an absolutely crucial election. You know, your votes will be talked about on the morning of May the 4th as a national story, um, and more and more people are coming to see the Labour alternative. Because we think the choice is between a Conservative Party um, which has run out of ideas and has the wrong priorities, or choose Labour which has uh, fresh ideas and a vision based on fairness and common sense
0: to win here in Wandsworth, Labour would have to win some of the richest council wards in Britain, places where the party has not won since the 1960s. And it's a measure of just how confident they are that they're not just targeting Wandsworth, they're targeting other historically Tory boroughs in London, like Barnet, Kensington and Chelsea, even Westminster. The Conservatives have made no secret of the fact that they're expecting to have a very bad night in London. So
2: without further ado, let's fire the starting pistol on the battle for Wandsworth.
0: Let's, at this stage, bring in Robert Meakin. Uh, Robert, London has been strongly pro-Labour for a long time, and this is something that far predates Jeremy Corbyn's arrival on the scene. Labour was 13 points ahead of the Tories when these council elections were fought four years ago, but last year in the general election, they were 21 points ahead of the Tories in London. London is a different country. Labour is close to matching its best ever result in London. The Tories, meanwhile, are close to matching their worst ever result in London. One cabinet minister uh, anonymously quoted as saying the Tories were screwed as far as London was concerned. It really is going to go just the one way.
3: I don't think even the most ambitious stroke deluded Tory strategist uh, would imagine for a second that the Tories are going to have a good night in London. The story in the capital is going to essentially be about just how big can Labour win? Just, frankly, how big uh, do the Tories lose? There is a real
0: audacity to Labour's targets. In Wandsworth, they're going after a council that used to be the Tory flagship, the zero council tax and all that, but also somewhere where three quarters of people voted to stay in the EU, and it's getting harder and harder to square that circle.
3: Yeah, when you when when you talk about uh, the, the Tories losing Wandsworth, I mean that that shows just how uh, far their stock has fallen in the capital. Very much symbolised. Tory strength in the capital. But this is where Labour really have to juggle their act somewhat, juggle the message, because yes, in a place like Wandsworth, they really need to be pressing those pro-Remain buttons still to a large degree. The reality is that Jeremy Corbyn is sensibly taking now a, a very sort of cautious rather cynical view towards Brexit because he also knows that there's a large percentage of his vote that probably voted to lead the European Union mainly of course outside London. You have to question if they can really pull off Kensington and Chelsea though.
0: Obviously, Grenville Tower is a very specific factor that's going to influence this election. But Labour won 12 council seats in Kensington and Chelsea four years ago. They would need
3: 28 in total to take a majority on the council. That is a tall order. Yes, of course, Grenville is going to be a huge factor uh, this time. But can you imagine if we'd been talking about the idea of Labour uh, taking Kensington-Chelsea a few years ago. I think we'd have been locked up pretty quickly and needed a long rest, but times have changed. Grenville, of course, very much damaged the Tory party in a part of that borough, but it is, of course, still incredible to imagine the Tories losing such a stronghold as that.
0: Elsewhere in London, any advance for Labour in Hillingdon would make Boris Johnson pretty nervous. His parliamentary constituency is there. On paper, Barnett looks like it ought to be an easy gain, but the anti-Semitism rouse of these last few weeks is probably going to make it a lot harder.
3: It remains to be seen just how that will affect them electorally over the, uh, in the, in the coming, in the coming weeks, uh, you'd imagine there will be some sort of kickback that in the areas that you mentioned, yes, there, there will be previous, uh, previous Labour voters who won't be prepared to come out and support Jeremy Corbyn this time. How deeply that really affects Corbyn's overall success in London, we will have to see. But yes, I, I think it's fair to say there will clearly be an impact there. It's worth pointing out that these
0: optimistic predictions about how Labour are going to do on the 3rd of May come from analysing last year's general election results. Now, the local council boundaries are not the same and are often not as friendly to the Labour Party as perhaps some of those parliamentary constituencies were. And I just wonder, is there a risk here that Labour is talking up its chances in London so much that they could gain 40 or 50 council seats, they could gain control of say, one more council, which would give them you know, an even bigger stronghold on London than they already have. But as dominant as they'd be, that would actually look like a missed opportunity because they spent so much time touting this idea that they're going to be picking up gains left, right and centre.
3: There is an obvious risk of um, some anticlimax because hopes are so high regarding Labour's performance at this uh, local election. I mean, just remember, if we we rewind uh, to last year's uh, local elections... Corbyn was considered to have very badly. They, In fact, I think they were down around 4% uh, nationally last time. And it was, So everyone was being very doom-laden about the general election only a few weeks later. Well, guess what? Yeah, Labour performed badly in the local elections but then exceeded all expectations in the general elections. So it, it, it can be tricky <laughs> comparing the two.
0: Wandsworth, which for decades was a flagship Conservative Council. Suddenly, that's in doubt. I caught up with the current leader of the council, now fighting to stay in power. Rabbi Govindia, leader of Wandsworth Council. How embarrassing would it be for the Conservatives to lose control of Wandsworth? We're not going to, so I don't think that hypothetical question arises. If you look to the general election last year, what we did see in the areas that very strongly voted Remain was a big swing towards the Labour Party, even in seats the Conservatives managed to hold, and there must be some nervousness that that sort of Remainers' revenge attitude might persist into these elections. Once it's always prided itself in actually having a very strong local message built on 40 years of service and delivery of service at prices that people can afford and a standard that people appreciate. So I think that is our key message and that is what we endure. How important has it been campaigning to focus on that, on the local message and not to get dragged into debates on national issues? Well, we've always done it. So it's not a great, been a great effort. We've always majored on what we have done and what we promised to do rather than what others might say. Some of the Conservatives I've spoken to in other parts of London have said they have to talk about the local issues, they have to talk about the bins, they have to talk about the libraries, because if they get dragged onto Theresa May or onto Brexit, then it starts to get a bit toxic. Well, that may be their experience, if it's not been ours. There must be a corner of your heart that's a bit worried where you might be next Friday. there are one or two colleagues about whose futures I am worried but I think as far as the control of the council is concerned I am confident that we will actually form an administration on 4th of May. Ravi Govindia who's the conservative leader of Wandsworth Council. It wasn't always like this. The conservatives have at times been dominant in London local government and it's not that long ago that a Tory, Boris Johnson, was in charge at City Hall. But according to journalist Martin Hostick from the Mayor Watch website, the Conservatives have failed to keep pace with a changing London.
2: The Conservatives traditionally tended to to do well in outer London, and the Labour Party well in inner London is much more diverse. And the Labour Party historically was much better at picking up and reflecting and championing the concerns of people from very diverse and mixed communities in a way that traditionally conservatives weren't. And I think that there are two cultures in London, political cultures, uh, but I think that what's happened is over the years, as as central London has become much more expensive but not more politically conservative, more Labour-leaning voters have moved out of London, and that means that the Conservatives have never really quite hooked into picking up the concerns of many of those groups, and so they've found themselves pushed ever further into sort of Enclave. He has little sympathy though for their plight. The one constant concern about London is, is really the cost of living and housing and at City Hall they were pushing this idea only of so-called affordable rents where people would pay up to about 80 percent of, of, of the rent rather than the much lower social rent levels and so they were they were politically deaf to the concern that was being felt across all of London. And so I think that that, along with the wider cuts, has really put the Tories on a a back foot this time. There have even been
0: suggestions that the Tories would become a sort of semi-detached, semi-autonomous party in London, like they are in Scotland, managed separately with a separate leader. Now, Party HQ apparently stamped on this idea when it was first suggested. They might need to think again if these results are as bad as people are predicting
3: again that demonstrates uh, the the difference when you're talking about london as a political entity and the rest of the country well certainly a, a, certainly a percentage of England because Theresa May right now having had a pretty disastrous time uh, since the last general election probably recently has seen her stock rise in, in different parts of the country due to the the crisis with Russia even over Syria Yeah, in, in London as you say she, she can make no inroads whatsoever she's not considered an asset and I don't think there's going to be any joy for Theresa May in London anytime soon outside of London Uh, There are some interesting uh, places for for Labour.
0: Uh, Trafford in Greater Manchester. Swindon is worth keeping an eye on. Plymouth as well. where Labour would like to take uh, proper control of the council there. The problem is with this election cycle is that a lot of the elections we're having uh, in May this year are in places that are already pretty friendly towards Labour, like Manchester, like Birmingham, like Newcastle, like Leeds. So outside of London, it's going to be very hard to show games
3: it will be However, we we should never underestimate uh, the spin machines of the respective parties. If Labour have a really good night, even if it doesn't uh, uh, live up to the expectations currently, you can be absolutely sure that they will be presenting this as a massive, massive victory for Jeremy Corbyn, that this is another big step on the road to Downing Street and the destruction of Theresa May's Conservative Party. One really fascinating issue is where all those UKIP votes
0: go. They got 17% of the vote the last time these council seats were up for grabs in 2014. Now they're polling what? Two? Three percent? They're pretty much ruined. They've only put up about a quarter of the number of candidates they did last time. There are a lot of votes floating around, up for grabs in this election. Now look, It could be that they just flip back to where they were before. So the UKIP voters in the north go back towards Labour, the UKIP voters in the south drift back towards the Tories. That would, by the way, allow both parties to claim that they'd done better in these elections than perhaps they really had. But equally, those UKIP voters, you know, they
3: might have got a bit of a taste for switching sides. It's not a predictable vote. It's hard to get a handle on, I think. The two main parties were probably still scratching their heads, working out how do we reach those people? How do we get those votes? Because that does make a big difference to their own fortunes if they can uh, win those people back. So the UKIP votes, it certainly can't be underestimated. And it will have a big say on how this local election turns out, where that vote goes.
0: One thing that's worth reflecting on is whoever wins these elections is going to have to deal with really significant financial problems in pretty much every council in the country. Uh, Councils have been diving into their reserves. 70% of the councils that have to pay for social care have been dipping into their reserves, according to an FT study. More than half the councils in England have been dipping into their reserves just to make ends meet. That in the council terms is the equivalent of using your credit card to pay you know your monthly expenses and then just paying the minimum off every month and it just gets worse and worse and worse those reserves are not there for day-to-day council business but the councils have no alternative because they say they've had massive cuts in the central government grant they have run out of non-essential services to cut they have run out of things that they can ease up on They are in a position where there is nothing left to cut. There are huge numbers of services that they have to provide. The pressure on things like social care has gone through the roof at the same time that money has collapsed. All those people who are coming into these councils are immediately going to be met with those problems and no obvious way of fixing them.
3: Yeah, I mean, I I was first covering local government as a local journalist uh, 20 years ago. I don't ever remember a time when local council budgets were considered to be in any real healthy state. Uh, It was an ongoing argument, obviously, between central government and councils up and down the country. Uh, Look, it's an age-old argument we hear again and again and again from mainly Tory governments saying they are set on reducing excess, dealing with economic inefficiencies across the board uh, for the sake of taxpayers, for the sake of the public to deal with this waste. Then on the other side, of course, you've got the mainly Labour-led local authorities saying we're being utterly shafted here. We're being put in a position where running our local authorities in an efficient way is being made impossible due to the completely unreasonable and the vicious cuts being inflicted upon them. An argument I suspect you made be hearing quite a lot over the coming days well
0: thousands of council seats are up for grabs this year across England and tens of thousands of candidates are standing for election but why why on earth would anyone want to be a local councillor Victoria Atherston is standing for the first time for the Liberal Democrats in Cheltenham. And when I spoke to her, she told me how she ended up being a council candidate.
1: It was always a sort of ambition of mine to one day get into politics. I was very much a supporter of the Lib Dems throughout my adult life. And um, in April 2015, I decided to become a member. The Local members in rugby came knocking at my door as soon as they'd realised that I was a member and introduced themselves. And um, I got involved in a bit of canvassing, which I found really, really interesting because I absolutely love talking to people. I'm a little bit nosy. Then I moved to Cheltenham and they're an absolutely fantastic team. I didn't really think that I was going to sort of have the opportunity to become a counsellor so soon, helping out doing deliveries of our focus newsletters Then I was asked, um, would you consider becoming a counsellor? And it seemed like, yes, I could fit this very much into my lifestyle. And it's something that I've always wanted to do. And so um, I took up the challenge.
0: Why is it something you always wanted to do? What, What was it that appealed to you about getting involved in local politics?
1: I like helping people and I like finding solutions to problems helping your people in your local community is a really good way of doing that
0: what's been the best thing about your campaign to get yourself elected
1: i don't know if i if i'm running an, an effective campaign i hope i am getting to know people as much as possible i think is the most effective way to campaign meeting people on the doorstep not only is it a great way to sort of engage with residents but it's also a great way to pick up casework in terms of finding out street by street the problems that people are living with and then also using sort of social media but I've done a few Facebook videos that's kind of proven to be quite successful in terms of campaigning.
0: Is there anything that you've had to do during the campaign that you thought well actually this isn't terribly enjoyable?
1: Yeah our really really long winter and I hate being cold. So being outside when it's freezing, like walking in the snow, your hands are about to fall off even when you're wearing gloves. That's quite tough. But it's actually um, it's far better canvassing in bad weather because everybody's home. So even though I'd much rather be outside doing deliveries and speaking to residents on the doorsteps when it's sunny, Unfortunately, that's the worst time because everybody is doing what they should be doing um, and they're outside enjoying the sunshine.
0: You're standing in Cheltenham. You're standing for the Liberal Democrats. It's one of the areas that the Lib Dems continued to do well in uh, when they were losing seats left, right and centre. So you've got a reasonably good chance of being a councillor in in a week or so's time.
1: We do have 29 Liberal Democrat borough councillors It is very much a sort of Lib Dem town, but we can't take it for granted. My particular ward is a two-horse race, really, us and the Conservatives.
0: Now, you mentioned earlier that you'd always been interested in politics, and even if you didn't get actively engaged in it until a bit later on, but how politically ambitious are you? Is this the fulfilment of your desire politically, or or how far do you want to go?
1: I would love to represent my constituent, you know, in Parliament. So yes, I would definitely, I'm up for going all the way and trying to become an MP. I was very fortunate to be selected to um, attend the future Women's MP Weekend, And it was uh, an intense weekend, which I found really, really, really super useful. Quite remarkably, I am now the state representative for England for Lib Dem Women's Nationally. And my uh, first job is to um, arrange a tour around Parliament, which is quite exciting. Well, we'll watch uh, with great interest
0: the results of the election on the 3rd of May and uh, wait to see you. Uh, a Prime Minister's questions in a few years. Victoria, thank you very much. Robert, you do have to wonder what makes somebody want to be a local councillor? What makes somebody stand for office? Because it always struck me as a really thankless task, you know, potholes and bin collections and libraries, not to diminish the importance of any of those issues... But even so, I I don't think you can keep your constituents happy for very long and you don't get to deal with any of the really big issues that the national politicians do. So I have a certain admiration for anybody who's willing to sort of throw their hat in the ring. Let you into a little secret in my teenage years, I was sufficiently geeky that I did join a political party. Obviously, I'm not now going to tell you which one it was because I'm scrupulously impartial but I did join I was the youngest member of that party in that branch by I don't know 20, 30 years and you could see the glint in their eye when they thought oh we've got him we've got one and I think I could very easily have ended up on the local council or or similar had I not decided to go into journalism and then decided um, that I I couldn't be a member of a political party and be a, a journalist at the same time So
3: I I I had a bit of a narrow escape, I think. Well, for the sake of disclosure, I should also admit that I was a member of a political party during my... um student, uh, early student years. I even canvassed on the said party's behalf at a couple of elections and uh, I have to say it was a pretty thankless task and I I remember spluttering away very unconvincingly while trying to uh, explain the said party's economic policy on the doorstep. So I was no great loss either.
0: Well, that's it for this election preview. Apologies for the London-centric focus. I'm afraid this is one of those rare occasions when London really is the most important place in a story. With that in mind, I'll be spending local election night on BBC Radio London, in case you want to spend the evening listening to me ramble on at even greater length. And we'll be back just after the elections to analyse the results. In the meantime, there's more on Twitter, at PartyGamesPod. Thanks to Robert, to all the other guests in this episode. Thanks to you for listening. For now, though... Goodbye.